Uh, Jessica and I celebrated a pseudo anniversary this weekend. We, Jessica posted a, a picture of us going on a date Friday night and said 18 years with this guy, which, you know, we started getting happy anniversary, but we'll take two anniversaries in one year, and that's fine. Yeah, th this is the same shirt that I wore Friday night. It looked perfectly ironed, so I just put it back in the closet. I didn't sweat in it or anything, so some bachelor ways die hard. Um, our anniversary is actually April 6th, and it will be 19 years, April 6th, so yeah, we're already brainstorming what we're going to do on the 20-year one, but it's, it's a lot of fun being married to Jessica. Um, let's just take a second to pray and ask Holy Spirit just to do what he wants this morning again. Holy Spirit, we give you this time right now. Let's put your hand over your heart and say, Holy Spirit, do all that you please in my heart. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We bless you, we honor you. This is your time, this is your church. Holy Spirit, we're excited about what you're doing in the earth. We're excited about what you're doing in your church, that you are preparing the bride for Jesus. Lord, we, we ask that you make us ready, that we be the wise virgins who fill our, our lamp with oil. Holy Spirit, rest on us. Give us your fruit, give us your gifts, and give us the revelation and understanding of Jesus and the Father. Amen. I'm getting some of that feedback to you. I don't know if there's a way to work on that. Um, so I want to talk about Haggai chapter 1 this morning and just kind of what I think God's doing in the body of Christ. And I believe it's, it's a stirring as I was just praying this past week, I felt like the Lord just kept bringing that up in my, in my spirit about God stirring up his people. Now, the good thing about pressure is that pressure makes you, it kind of forces you to act, all right? So imagine you're putting your hand down on a, on a lemon and you're, you're just squeezing that lemon and it can't stay in that same spot, it's either gonna go or to the other side. But it's gotta, it's gotta go somewhere, right? And so what's happening in the earth is all this pressure is forcing us to make decisions, right? <laughs> so that's the good thing about pressure, that's the good thing about shaking, is it starts drawing a line in the sand. And Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. He, Jesus said that. He, he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, we're called to be peacemakers. 
So what does what does Jesus mean by that? Is that you know Paul said, "Live at peace as far as you as you're able to with all men." The key is as far as you you know you're able to, and so we we strive to be at peace and in relationship with people. Um, and you can still do that with people. That that's the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he ate with with sinners. He even ate with Pharisees, and he didn't agree with either one of those lifestyles but he ate with them. And so we can agree to disagree and still, and still be in relationship. But what, but what Jesus is, the pressure is, is on our own hearts. The pressure is, what are you going to decide to do? Which, are you going to be standing with Jesus no matter the cost? Or are we going to compromise and kind of acquiesce to the pressure that's in the world and, that, and what the world is asking us to do? And so, you know, in Exodus chapter 35, it says that God, he began stirring up people to work in the tabernacle. Now, when I talk this morning, when I talk about the tabernacle or the temple, just imagine I'm talking about the body of Christ because Peter says that the body of Christ is God's temple. First Corinthians 6 says, you are God's temple. So I'm a, I'm a little temple of the Holy Spirit and collectively as the body of Christ, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's building a house brick upon brick, or stone upon stone, rather, to, for his glory. So we're going to be just like the tabernacle. We're gonna, the body of Christ is going to be this traveling glory cloud everywhere we go. That's, that's what our inheritance is, get to c- carry the glory of God in that manner. And so in Exodus 35... Verse 21, you don't have to go there. It says, They came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. Say this after me. I am a contribution. Say this. I have something to offer. Now say this. I have something really good to offer. Now, the, first, the, the, the main thing that's really good that you have to offer to the Lord is your heart. Is your heart. Graham Cook, this is one of my favorite stories that Graham Cook has, has ever told because it's, I think it's a demonstration of, of God's heart. But he said when he was on leadership at this church in England years ago, um, Graham Cook's a prophet that we followed for years, by the way. And uh, he said that the elders, so he was part of this leadership team, and there was a man in the church who he said had the purest heart of anybody in the church. But he said he, he almost had, he had very little ministerial giftings like ministering to people, you know, praying for him, prophesying, praying for healing. He said he just wasn't very gifted in that, but he had the purest heart. He said this guy couldn't prophesy himself out of a wet paper bag. That was what he said in the story, you know. And so, but he said the leadership team never made any decisions without consulting this guy because his heart was so pure in the Lord. And he was being like, I just don't know if that's the Lord, yes. You know, and they, and they would listen to this guy. Because, because his contribution to the church was a pure heart. 
he knew who God was. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this God, this God knew who the Lord was, right? And so Graham and the leadership team, they consulted him before they made big decisions. And that's, that's why I'm saying the, the first and foremost, the good thing, the best thing you have to offer the Lord is your heart. And it's worth even telling the Lord that. Just saying, God, you have my heart. There's power in your words, right? So I may believe that God has my heart. It's just even better to tell him, Lord, I give you my heart. It just You can do it whenever you think about it or every day, or just like, God, I give you my heart today. Lord, I offer my family to you. I offer my family to you this, this morning. And you present... <laughs> Proverbially, your daily sacrifices to the Lord. And so it says right here, you know, they, these people, they were stirred up. You go on to the next chapter, Exodus 36, verse 2, and Moses called Bezalel and Holiab, and every craftsman whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose work stirred him up to come do the work. I, be, I just believe that God is calling every Christian this hour off of the sidelines. And I believe God wants to give you clarity on, on what you have to offer. And like I said, the first and for, foremost thing is your and I tell people all the time, he's like, you know, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my gifting is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I, and I tell them, start right where you are and do what Jesus said you can do anytime, anywhere, any place. Cleanse the leper, heal the sick, heal the, heal the blind and the lame, preach the gospel to the poor. And then God begins to put you down the path that he wants you to do. It started for me when I gave my life, when I surrendered to the Lord. God didn't, he, he didn't say, Travis. Now, he does this for some people, but he didn't do this with me. And I think I'm, I'm like most people. When I surrendered my heart to the Lord, he didn't say, Travis, you're going to be a pastor. You're going you're gonna to marry a woman who doesn't want to be a pastor's wife, but she'll end up being a pastor's wife. You're going to be a church planner and a youth pastor. You know. All that he didn't he didn't lay it all out before me. He just I just surrendered my heart and I was like, okay, I'm gonna start going back to my home church when I return to Watkinsville. I'm gonna call up the youth pastor and ask if I can start helping out with the youth. That was I can I probably say that was like my idea. I just was trying I just looked around, I was like, Yeah, that, that could use some help. And I called the youth pastor. And I said, hey, man, I'd look. And he knew my history. He knew I wasn't walking with the Lord. But I told him, I said, hey, I surrendered to Jesus. And he knew that when I talked to him, it was like, okay, this is the real deal. Travis, is, he's walking with the Lord. And I said, I just want, asking God if I could serve anywhere. I thought about the youth group. Can I start helping out with the youth group? Like, whatever you want me to do. Does that mean you want me to, like, sweep up after youth group? I'll do that. You want me to, like, mentor some kids? I'll do that. And I, and I went in with that attitude, and guess who was waiting on me at youth group? My wifey. But all I, 
but all I wanted to do was serve the youth. But the Lord, he sets you up when you want to serve. He will set you up and he will bless you when that's your, your first thought is like, Lord, how can I build your kingdom and how can I bless your people? And when you're looking about at yourself a lot and you're calling and, and even where you might fit, you can get frustrated and confused. But it doesn't say, turn your eyes upon Travis. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And then he, he will make your path straight. But if I'm like, what about me, Lord? What about me? What about me? It starts getting confusing and muddied up. Peter said about us, the church, you are a chosen race. Now, you know there's all kinds of shades of color in the body of Christ, right? Peter boils us down to one race, the shade of red covered in the blood of Jesus. He says, you're a chosen race, and I'm not saying we don't appreciate distinctions in race and all that, but I'm saying there's so much more unity under the blood than we know. There's so much more unity under the blood than we're, we're experiencing right now. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's just a, a rich verse right there. Meditate on that for about a month. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, meaning kings and priests, queens and priests, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the light. So I want to go to Haggai chapter 1, but first I just psyched you out, I didn't mean to. Nehemiah chapter 4. You can turn to Nehemiah 4 if you want. And I'm just going to read this and then move on. But in Nehemiah chapter 4, if you've read the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king, and he had a moment of boldness where he says, I'm going to ask the king if I can go back home and start rebuilding that country he destroyed. <laughs> and so Nehemiah, under the threat of death, just like Esther was under the threat of death, if like the king just doesn't like what you asked for, off with your head. So Nehemiah, he says, my city's walls lie in ruin. Can I go back and rebuild them? He's like, yeah, where do you need? <laughs> he goes back, and it's, it's desolate. It's, it doesn't look good. But Nehemiah gathered the people, and he stirred them up. He's like, listen, this is our, this is our city. The wall should not be broken down. This is the very first thing that we have to do to restore our city is build the walls back up. Who's with me? People get on board, but they're also kind of like, I understand, yeah, I'll help, man. man, I don't know. Can we do this? Have you seen the walls? Now, Haggai and Zechariah were prophets during the rebuilding of, 
the temple. Now Solomon's temple, if even by today's standards, would probably be the most expensive building ever made in the history of man. When you have <laughs> gold-plated everything and <laughs> ivory towers and all this, you know, it's just like, find the most expensive building materials and we're putting it all in this one building. And so it got, Solomon's temple got destroyed where uh, the Babylonians came and, and basically took over Israel, uh, deported them back to Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. So the Solomon's temple and all of the beauty, I mean, people would come from all over the world to see Solomon's temple and to sit at Solomon's feet at his wisdom. And they'd just be like, look at that. How, how many of y'all been to Biltmore Estates? And you, now, Josiah's wearing a Biltmore shirt, by the way. And so you go there and you're just like, what? You know, it, this is crazy. And it was 120 years ago, and it's still the biggest house in America. You, you just, it leaves you awestruck. Now imagine the Biltmore house plated in gold. That was Solomon's temple. So you, everybody's coming around to look at Solomon's temple, but it was destroyed. Haggai and Zechariah are prophesied to the people about it's time to rebuild God's house. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Nehemiah chapter 4 says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, Sanballat and Tobiah just insert the voice of the devil into that whenever you see Sanballat and Tobiah because they did not want this wall to come up. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Sounds like the devil. If you hear a voice and it feels like it's poking you in the chest, that's the devil. That's the voice of condemnation. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what are they building? They're just kind of laughing back and forth. What are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. That means basically if you breathed on the wall, it would fall over. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Then it goes into the narrative. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. And I believe, you know, we're coming into a great harvest time. It's going to be all hands on deck. When Jesus told them to cast their nets on the other side, and they tried to pull the net up, and it was so full of fish, it said everybody had to get their hands on the net to pull it up. Jessica grew up in a farming, farming community. Raise your hand if you're from central Georgia. That's right. And so... Um, during harvest time, you know, if the rain's coming and you're harvesting wheat, you don't want to, and it's, maybe there's some hail in there, you don't, you don't want the hail to hit you, destroy your wheat. 
you learn that from Little House on the Prairie. And so, um, and so Jessica's dad, he'd get done harvesting his wheat, and Bob down the road, they've got 12 hours before the rain hits, and he's got 24 hours worth of work. So what does everybody in the community do? Like, hey, we gotta get down to Bob's house. We gotta get that weed in for Bob before the, before the rain hits. So it's all hands on deck during harvest season for your neighbor and for yourself, and you might be the Bob that needs help. And it's gonna be the same with the church. It's gonna be all hands on deck. God's doing something in Athens Church. We're going, even though they're much bigger, we're gonna help them wherever we can help them. Just because they're big doesn't mean they don't need any help. Classic City Church needs help. We're going to help them. Living Hope, we're going to help them. It's going to be all hands on deck during the harvest time. And we're going to have to have a mind to work. And so there may be some inconveniences that we have to endure because a lot of times those harvest nights, there's a reason why tractors have lights on them. Because you don't stop working when the sun goes down. You stop working when the job's done. For, I mean, Fernando Villalobos, who lived through a, nation, a national revival in Bolivia in the 70s, he says, Travis, you don't know what you're asking when you want revival. I said, I, I know, I, I know. But you know, we Americans like to. He says, Travis, he says, are you ready to be preaching day and night. I was like, I'm just expecting the grace of God to help me and, and hopefully we'll be raising up some other people too, Fernando. You know, he's just like, he's like, I'm just telling you. You don't, he says, revival is glorious and it's messy. And so, just want us to get our minds right. The days of Haggai. So you can turn to Haggai chapter one. And just a little context while you, while you turn there. In the days of Haggai, after being held in captivity by the Babylonians, uh, King Cyrus issued a decree that the Jews could return back to Israel. Now surprisingly, there was no mass exodus back to Israel because a lot of the people were born and raised in Babylon. So that became their home. And I, and I feel like for a lot of Christians, for one reason or another, maybe you, 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 don't, you grew up in a house that there was no distinction between the kingdom of God and, and the, the ways of the world. So you don't know any different. But I feel like there's so many, what God's doing right now is he's making very clear, this is the ways of the world, this is the ways of the kingdom. But because there's so many of us Christians that we've been born, we were born in Babylon. And that's the only way we know. And so God's showing us the ways of the kingdom. He's teaching us the ways of the kingdom. And Babylon in the scriptures, uh, it's, it's symbolically, it just stands in opposition to the kingdom of God. So they had 50,000 exiles choose to make the trip back to Jerusalem, and they, they faced a number of difficulties. Number one, the land was fallow. It hadn't been 
cultivated, it hadn't been dug up, and all the ancestral homes were devastated and disrepair. Secondly, you had this uh, lower class of Judeans who had been left in the land. They took over all the holdings of those who were deported, and so when they came back, somebody's living in your house, you walk in and he's in his underwear eating an apple in your house, you're like, what are you doing in my house? Like, this is my house. And so they had all these disputes over who's, this is. Now in the year of Jubilee, land was so important to people in the year of Jubilee, even if you had to sell your land to someone to pay off debts, that land would be restored to you. And so land was a big deal. The third thing is the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple faced external opposition from neighboring peoples, Samballot and Tobiah. And then the initial efforts to begin construction on the, temp on the temple were met, were met with discouraging remarks and comparisons compared to Solomon's temple. So what Haggai and Zechariah, who were contemporaries, did, they urged the people to get their priorities straight and start building the temple of God. And so we come to in Haggai chapter 1. I meant to make this bigger and divide it up, so I'm sorry if you can't read it. That, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You've looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. And so we've been busy building our own homes in our own kingdom, seeking our own comfort, surrounding ourselves with distractions while not watching over our heart. And I read this thing from Danny Silk this past week. He said, hard times create strong people. Strong people create good times. Good times typically create weak people. Weak people create hard times. And you can just basically look at the book of Judges and that's the cycle in the book of Judges. And so what happens is when prosperity hits, this happened in Isaiah. Isaiah, they're at the peak prosperity when Isaiah's prophesying, listen, God's coming, judgment's coming. What prosperity does is it, it, it tends to numb our heart. If we don't diligently watch over our heart, from out of our heart comes out the, wealth, the issues of life. So he says, consider your ways, look at your heart. Is your, way, is your way of life, is it seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or is it seeking the kingdom of God, second, third, fourth? You know, the Lord, I was asking the Lord a few months ago, and I was thinking in financial terms, I was like, God, is there any kind of moves you want me to make with our money? 
And uh, he said, take care of your parents. I was like, I, it's not the move I was expecting, but it's, I get it, Lord. That's in your word. Honor your parents. And even this morning, I felt the Lord's like, if, you, if you're hidden in me, you're going to be hidden from so much of the things to come on down the line. If you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. God has made it simple for us. He's made it simple. This may not be easy, but it's simple. Take care of your parents. I can do that, Lord. Seek my kingdom. Yes, I can do that. And so, you know, we, we strive, and I believe everybody's guilty of this, you know, we strive for a life of blessing, and we get our priorities out of order. And we sought the blessing without relationship. And this is essentially the heart of an orphan. When you're in survival mode, you, you get this hoarding mentality. I've told y'all stories about it. I used to be called the sting in college, right? You get this hoarding mentality. That's mine. That's mine. I got to make sure I got enough. I got to make sure I got enough. What happened when COVID, when COVID hit? Toilet paper gone you know and so we told the kids like listen we got a never-ending stream of toilet paper in the garden hose all right so <laughs> don't worry about that you'll get the this is the louisiana french bidet you know so um <laughs> so but we we want God to give us what we want without relationship, without it costing our heart, without it costing us submission, without it costing us uh, being vulnerable and being weak, without it costing me my pride and my self-righteousness. Because all those things reveal who we are. And so what happens is, just like this passage is talking about, we work really hard and we receive very little. We work really hard and we receive very little. Ecclesiastes calls this striving after the wind. Trying to catch the wind. <laughs> you know, and so verse 8 shows us what our priorities should be. Seeking God first, seeking his presence. And so do we seek God in our financial decisions? Do we seek God first in our relationships? Do we seek him first in our parenting? Do we seek him first in our marriage? I can't tell you how many times... Jessica and I have had a, uh, a, a disagreement or something. I go into the shower, and, I just, and I'm in the shower. I'm just, God, give me a humble heart. Give me a humble heart. I do not feel humble right now, but give me a humble heart. What do you want me to do? Oh, God, what do you want me to do? Because we're both not liking each other very much right now, God. You know, and so it's... Um, and God, so many times, has given me answers. He's given Jessica answers when she's like, I don't know about the husband you gave me. And so, and so but when we seek first, and then, but he gives, us, he gives us the solutions. But it's not easy. It's not easy in that moment where you're, everything is just like, defend yourself, Travis. And you hear the whisper of, humble yourself. 
Now defend yourself. Now move yourself. Defend. You know, it's, it's, anyways, you just, it's loud, and you got to fight against that thing. But the ways of the kingdom is standing on top of the mountain, thunder and lightning, earthquakes, and then the still small voice is telling you what to do. Later on in, in chapter 1, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and jo- Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, guys, I'm f- the Lord, uh, I'm just going to start skipping names. So anyways, that the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai, the, the prophet, and the Lord their God, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people feared the Lord. That's the key. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit. Here it is. Stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. We were, um, me and, and Megan have been reading this book as, as staff means, it's called Ecclesia. And it's just about the power of the government. Ecclesia is the word for church in the New Testament. But that word Ecclesia is the Greek word means a governing body. The church is the governing body of the kingdom of God on the earth. So we, we legislate the kingdom of God in the earth. And we read this story about this woman in Thailand who had a ice cream cone portable stand. Now, what do you think you can do with that? In the natural, we're like, oh, it's ice cream. But she would do this every day. She, gets, she said, Lord, I dedicate my ice cream stand to you. And she would pray over every single cone, every single thing that was on there. She prayed over it. She said, God, let your anointing rest on these napkins. Let your anointing rest on these ice cream cones. And people, what would happen is people would be eating the ice cream cone and they were opening up their heart to her. And she said, can I pray for you about that? Be like, yes. And then they come back, she's like, your prayers were answered. And she said, because Jesus is real. And he's like, I wanna know Jesus. Let me lead you. She ended up leading a thousand people to the Lord. Ice cream cone stand. You don't have to have much. It just ha- you just gotta give it to the Lord. Just give it to the Lord. Pray over it like he's going to answer you. Zerubbabel, he's the governor. He, he, you can look at him as representing the marketplace. Joshua was the high priest. And you can look at him as representing the people like me, the five-fold ministry, pastors, po- prophets, evangelists, teachers, and uh, apostles. And so they represent the church of the, the ministry of the church in the marketplace as an expression of the kingdom of God. Now this is, uh, uh, put in bold, I am with you, declares the Lord, because this, this is God's most frequent promise to us in Scripture, and it's actually his most powerful. Now the reason if you read that and it's not powerful to you is because we don't have a great view of who God is. And so what I mean by that is if we don't know God in his nature, never seeing him intervene in our lives consistently, then this is an empty promise. 
But if we know the Lord, if we know him intimately, if we know his nature, then this is the greatest promise the church has ever been given. If you know the Lord, like, God, you're strong in power. Lord, you're good, you're kind, you're faithful, you hear me. Your ear is inclined to my prayer. God, you move on my behalf. I'm your child. I have your ear. I'm your favored one. When you know those things in your heart, then when he says, I'm with you, then that's the greatest promise you could ever have. What does Jesus say before he, before he leaves and ascends to the Father? Lo, I am with you always. When, G, when, you re, when, he, when God says, I will be with you, it's the greatest promise because of who he is. And so we need a bigger and, and grander, more magnificent idea of who God is when he says that, if that doesn't stir your heart. And I'm, I'm right there in that journey with you. And so when that doesn't stir your heart, it's like, God, give me a... a a spirit of wisdom and revelation into, into who you are. Let me see you. Open my eyes to behold your glory. Because that way, David Hogan, he says he can pray and he sees people delivered and demons cast out, creative miracles. And this is all he says, because Jesus is with me. That's his answer. He's like, how do you do that? He's like, Jesus is with me. It's because he knows God. He's like, yeah, why, why wouldn't somebody get healed? Jesus is with me. So God is stirring up the spirit of the body of Christ to be restored. And so where it says work on God's house, how does that translate for us today? Dedicate what you have to the Lord and to his kingdom. Dedicate it. You got an ice cream stand? Dedicate it to the Lord. You got a personal training business? Dedicate it to the Lord. Give it to God. Say, God, this is for your temple, your glory, your church, your kingdom. Just give it to him. And I feel like this is the revelation God wants to give us this morning about who he is, what I just talked about. I am with you. I'm with you, what does that mean? What is it, how is it gonna stir us up? It's, this is what we actually need to know. God is rich. God is rich. God is rich in mercy. The scriptures say he's rich in glory. He's rich in grace. He's rich in providing for our needs. He's rich in encouragement. God is rich in love. He's rich in joy. He's rich in peace. He's rich in patience. He's rich in kindness. He's rich in goodness. He's rich in gentleness. He's rich in faithfulness. He's rich in self-control. He's rich in righteousness. He's rich in truth. He's rich in compassion. He's rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in glory, rich in wisdom, rich in understanding, rich in knowledge, rich in provision, rich in power, rich in justice, rich in strength, and rich in fellowship. God is rich. He has no lack, and it's overflowing. When you dip your cup into the river of God, what happens? 
do you wait on it? I'm waiting for this thing to fill up like when you're at the refrigerator and you're filling up. Okay. All right. No, when you put your cup in the river, instant overflow. It's the river of God. God is rich. Say that. Say, God is rich. And I want that to be, that's the confession over my life right now. That hit me like a ton of bricks this morning, uh, this week. I heard Corey Russell talking about, he, he just, he offhand mentioned, he said, God is rich. And it was like, it's like, that's it, Lord. That's what I need to know about you. You're rich. God is not a middle-class American with eight billion kids. He's not a middle-class American with eight billion kids. He's the God of the universe. He's constantly creating at the speed of light. The universe is expanding at the speed of light and who's in charge? God is rich. Whatever you need. So what, what do you need? You're like, God, I need more revelation of you. He's like, yeah, I got plenty. I got so much revelation of myself that you will never exhaust it for all of eternity. You need provision. God is rich. But it take, it does, he doesn't just, you know, sometimes he gives us a, provision to, to win our hearts back to him. But if we keep making bad decisions with it, then he might stop so to get your heart back. But when your heart submitted to him and you say, God, I have a need, he will provide. David said, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. So I want to I want to leave you with that. I, I've asked um, Brittany and Amber if y'all come up here just to, for some prophetic ministry time, and then uh, we'll, we're going to worship and ask God um, to really stir our hearts after this time. Actually, Amber, it's really funny. I have a word for you. And so, <laughs> um, I heard the Lord say that you are worth more than many sparrows in Matthew 10. And it says, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. When I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet none of them fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are well numbered. So don't, this was for you, do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. <laughs> um, 
And then also I heard the Lord say night terrors. So I don't know um, if you are having night terrors or trouble sleeping nightmares, or you have a child that is having nightmares or night terrors. Will you raise your hand if that's anyone here or has trouble sleeping, insomnia, anything with sleep? Okay, and then also in the back, I saw you raise your hand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the Lord just wants to give you peace. Um, it's funny, he actually, well, I thought about you before he even gave me that word, you actually popped into my head. And so the Lord just really wants to bless you this morning. What, what is your name? David. Hey, David. Um, but yeah, so I think the Lord, he just wants to give you peace. And I feel like um, one other thing that I saw was that um, in the land, when they were about, Joshua was about to take it and they, or Moses, and they were going in the promised land, they sent spies out. There's a, many people that went into the land and saw giants. And then we know Joshua and Caleb saw grasshoppers. And so I feel like the Lord wants to take you higher in revelation because you're about to take some land, but there's like the enemy is trying to make you see the giants, but the Lord wants to give you revelation that they're just grasshoppers. And so there's a lot that he wants to give you um, in this next season, but he's going to give you the revelation so that you're not afraid, that you have courage, and that you can go with boldness, like Travis said, knowing that the Lord is with you and that they are just grasshoppers. But the enemy wants you to see them as giants, but they're really not. And so um, and then I would love to pray for you for your sleep too, um, and that God would just give you peace, that you would have courage and strength to just go into whatever God is asking you or calling you to do because he's with you. And just remember, they're just grasshoppers and you don't have to be afraid that you don't have a spirit of fear, but you have power, love, and a sound mind. So even not being able to sleep, I feel like the Lord just wants to declare that over you, that you have a sound mind. You operate in love and power that God did not give you a spirit of fear. Um, so David, I would just love to pray over you. And if everyone could just extend your hand to David, we're gonna pray for David. Um, Jesus, thank you for David, God. Thank you for who you've called him to be. Thank you that you were with David, Lord, that he is going to be able to enter into a promised land and see the, the things and the obstacles as grasshoppers because you are with him. I pray that the eyes of his heart would be open to know the revelation of who you are, God, and that who he is in Christ Jesus, Lord, that he is in Christ, seated in the heavenly realms, Lord. So I pray that he would have revelation more of you, God. I pray that he would see the promised land that he would have both the calling of Moses and Joshua, that he would be able to see the promised land, but then also to be like Joshua, to be able to go take it for himself, Lord, all the things that you've promised him, God. And I pray over his sleep, Lord, we just declare a sound mind over David, more power, more love. I pray just cast off the spirit of fear in Jesus' name, God. At nighttime, Lord, you say in the Psalms that the Lord provides for me even while I'm sleeping, God. So if it's a thing of provision, God, that you are providing for David, even when he's sleeping, Lord, that he can have rest, God, and that you have given us promises so that we can enter into rest, Lord. So I pray that this upcoming season, whatever you're asking me to walk in, that it would just rest, would overflow over his body, God, that he would have rest in his spirit, his soul, and his mind, God, that there would be nothing that he couldn't do because you were with him, Jesus. So we bless David. We bless um, just his sleep at nighttime, God, that he would have dreams and visions of you, God, 
where the enemy has maybe wanted to give him things that are not of you, God, we just declare right now, Lord, that ministering angels would be by his bedside and that he would have deep revelation of who you are in the nighttime, God, just deep intercession in his spirit, Lord, and all the things that you're calling him higher, Lord Jesus. So we bless him, God. We thank you that you're with David, that you're with all of us, Lord, and that you have given us rest. And so we just thank you and glorify you and praise you for today. Amen. Um, I have more of like a couple corporate words, nothing super specific to individuals, but um, I just saw, as Brittany was praying, I just saw almost like the spirit of fear over our nation and like um, just a bunch of disinformation, like just spirits that are working against the church. And I just saw like like their feet and they're just kind of like stirring up dust and all around like the believers who are who are kind of standing they're just stirring up dust and then everybody like the world is looking at the dust and they're like getting down and then I see like some of the church some of the believers are getting down too and everybody's like look at all this dust this is horrible like it's every it's so dirty everything's so dirty everything's so terrible and then I see the Lord like blowing like fresh air above. And so f- for the one, he's calling his church higher. He's calling us to a higher standard. And so he's saying like, get up from the dust. I have like clear air for you up here. I have clear breath for you up here. I have something for you to breathe up here. Like I'm calling my bride out of the dust of the world. Um, and I just, So I just want to bless our church with a higher perspective of the Lord and a higher, um, just just a cleanliness, just a purity, just that we're breathing in his perspective, that we're getting out of the perspective of the world as his bride, um, and that we're breathing that in. So God, I just bless your church with your perspective. I just bless your church with the fresh breath from heaven, God. I just bless your church with vision to get out of the dust, to get the dust out of our eyes, to get the dust out of our um, out of our lungs, that we step up, we see clearly, and we breathe you in clearly, God, and we repent. We repent for being in the dust. We repent as the as the bride of Christ for getting dirty in the dust. And we ask that you cleanse us with your breath. We ask that you cleanse us with your blood. And we just accept the challenge to walk higher. We accept that challenge, Jesus, and we um, we honor you and we worship you. Amen. And so um, one other thing that I've just, when Travis initially um, asked me to speak a little bit, um, I just was thinking this morning about uh, when Scarlett was really itty bitty. I was really freaking out about her getting vaccinations and um, I was just really worried about the side effects of those things and Brittany and Laura can attest to how just covered up in fear I was and then um, I called Jessica talking to her about it and really wanting her to tell me what to do and she just said uh, listen to the Holy Spirit. So um, as I listened to the Lord the only thing he would tell me was the blood of Jesus is the ultimate vaccine. And I was frustrated with that answer. I was like, that's not telling me yes or no, Lord. What does that mean? And as I'm thinking on it this morning, there's so many people with opinions on this new vaccine. 
and the world is, you know, forcing it down people's throats because I get it. You know, they think it's the savior. They think it's something that can save us. I get it. They're scared of dying. And then there's the opposite side that says, like, the side effects are terrible. It's horrible. This whole, you know, there's two sides and they're very passionate. And when I look at that and look at what Jesus told me, it's like, his church, even his church, get it in this. I feel like this is a, a lot of the dust is like these two sides, and he's calling us higher. He's calling us to the blood of Jesus is the ultimate vaccine. Man makes a vaccine to try its best to protect against a disease, but the blood of Jesus is 100% effective against death. It's the only thing that's 100% effective. It's the only sure thing. I think. I think from the Lord, the thing I wanted about Scarlet was, I want a sure thing, God. I want you to tell me to vaccinate my child, and I want you to tell me 100% that she's not going to get any side effects. Or I want you to tell me to not vaccinate my child, and I want you to tell me 100% that she's not going to get malaria. But he said the blood of Jesus is the ultimate vaccine. And that's the word that um, I just, just want to release over us, is that his blood is 100% effective, and we carry that vaccination within us to give out how much more passionate do we need to be as the church about the vaccination that we carry of his blood and so lord i just i repent on behalf of the church for any passion that we carry that's outside of you jesus please release the revelation of what we carry the power that we carry in your blood, the power that we carry through your resurrection. You defeated death. You defeated death for us. And that is the only thing that is 100% sure is that we will taste death. And we will either taste it covered in your blood or taste it apart from you. And the verse um, I wanted to read was, uh, Hebrews 9:12. His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. He has secured our redemption. He has redeemed us from death. He has redeemed us from disease. He has redeemed us from sin. He has redeemed us from worldliness. He has redeemed us from the dust. So Jesus, help us walk in the revelation of your redemption and what it is to be redeemed, Jesus. And then verse 27 says, and just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, but not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus, we're eagerly waiting for you. Ready your bride, Lord. Cleanse us, Jesus. Purify your bride, Jesus. Let us yield all to you. Let your blood be enough for us. Let your promise that when we taste death, we're covered by your blood. Let that be enough for your church. Jesus, I just pray for your pure hearts in your, in your body. Purify your bride. We thank you for your blood. You are enough. The cross is enough for us. 
if we never get another promise. The cross is enough for us. If we never see any disease bow at your name, the cross is still enough for us. And I believe that we will, God. I believe that when we pray, that sickness will flee. I believe that when we pray, the dead will raise. I believe that. But even if I never see that, your cross is enough. And your promise that the blood of Jesus is the ultimate vaccine is enough for us, God. So ready your church, ready your bride. Our hearts are yours, Lord. Amen. That's good. So if I, the worship team will come on down. And uh, just a quick note on that death vision that Amber had. God told Satan the, cur the curse to, to the serpent was you're going to eat the dust. And dust represents bitterness in the Bible. And so don't get down in the bitterness and the dust, the fire, you know, like the, just the bitter spirit that can go back and forth. The, the devil is an equal opportunity uh, offender, no matter what political party, what you look like, but he wants to get us in that dust. So let's worship. If we'll have our, our, our ministry team come over here to the side, if you'd like prayer for healing or for anything else, They'd love to pray for you. And uh, can we do the Jesus, how we love you? Um, yeah, let's worship. Ask the Lord to stir your heart.